Hello and welcome to the pilot episode of The Works, because it's the first episode and I have a real-life pilot with me here. This is Heather. She has recently moved out to the middle of nowhere, Ontario, to fly, but the recent global situation, we'll say, has gotten in the way of that a little bit, and so she's going to tell us a little bit about what she's doing, how the job was, and how her new job is, because I thought it was pretty cool. So, Heather, hello. Hello. Now, we met... When did we meet? We met... Was it 2017? of 2018. The spring of 2018. I love how you know. Uh, The spring of 2018, because we both flew with the Air Cadet program. Yeah. And we met in Wingham. You had just started as a tow pilot. And we all discovered that you were pretty cool. Oh, my goodness. And so we decided to keep you around. (laughs) Well, thank goodness for that. Mm Mm-hmm. And you have actually done a whole lot of cool stuff. You went... How many summers were you towing? Two? I've done three summers towing. Three? Oh, my goodness. And five total. Cool. So you spent a lot of time towing, and then just recently, you moved out to Kenora to start a job flying King Airs. So let's start at the sort of beginning. When were you offered the job, and how did that happen? So I was offered the job uh, end of February. I was applying for flying positions around the area. And this company, the head of HR emailed me and asked to set up a a phone conference call for the interview. I talked with herself and the chief pilot. And then I want to say the very beginning of March, probably around the first, they uh, offered me the position. So yeah, like you said before, it's a flying King Air 200s out of Kenora for uh, their charter operation. And uh, I'll be flying for them as an FO. So they offered me the position early March and the start date was the 16th. So I believe on the 13th I left, I was uh, living in Guelph and it is a two day drive from Guelph to Kenora. So 10 days to Wawa, spent the night there, and then 10 days to Kenora. And I started on Monday the 16th. And then you promptly stopped again. But before we get into that, for the people who listen who aren't aviation experts, what on earth is a King Air 200? Okay, so a King Air 200 is a multi-engine aircraft. It's kind of a, it's kind of a little more of a rough and tough plane. Like it's, it's a propellered and a little smaller but very powerful so it's able to go a fair distance and the, the reason you need a, a rough and tough plane is because your job was what yeah so uh, a lot of up north flying uh, a fair number of gravel strips and shorter strips so being able to have a smaller plane but still capable to do and carry the things we need right so you're you're basically flying from buttfuck nowhere to buttfuck nowhere but like 600 miles away <laughs> yeah yeah, that's about it. And the job, and so I know when we were talking about this earlier, it, you said it was a lot of charter work. But do you guys do mostly carrying people or carrying goods? Um, it depends. I the this particular company does both. Okay. Uh, one of one of their big clients is the government of Ontario. We take a lot of court parties, so like judges and lawyers. Uh, we take them up north to different locations. Okay. I mean. And the reason for that is probably because the 
the population of such qualified people is quite low in probably remote communities, I imagine. Exactly. Mm. Okay. And then, so you started on, you said the 16th and, and that was the 16th of March. Yes. And you started right away. How did the training work? I started right away. I showed up on the 16th and they said, okay, awesome. Nice to meet you. Here's the office. Here's the hangar. There's the plane. Get in. It was, it was really good. I mean, they did do uh, a few essential briefs, you know, like safety in the hangar and different Mm. precautions and their own uh, company specific procedures. But yeah, basically they had me flying right away first day. And I think that that was a really good, uh, it was a really good thing for the company just to right off the bat gauge their new hire you know myself as a new employee so they can see how i am how i act Mm -hmm. and most importantly how i function in an aircraft right and then as a, a beautiful mirror image of the rest of the aviation industry you started working for a few days and then everything basically broke when when did that happen so what was the timeline of of you 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 had a little bit of training and then give me a rundown of what happened when you stopped training. <laughs> so, yeah, I I actually have all of these in my calendar, just as kind of like a little journal. So I'm looking. Oh my at god, right that's now. almost sad. Like this is a journal of the tragedies of my career. Hey, it's a journal of my life. This mm. section happens to be a bit of a tragedy, but uh, yeah. So sixteenth, they're uh, mostly a Monday to Friday operation. So Saturday and Sunday had uh, off, and then on Monday, the twenty third, uh, I had flown about five and a half hours in the plane, and then coupled with a bunch of ground school. So Monday, the twenty third rolls around, and I got a call from the chief pilot saying that they would have to cease my flight training because I uh, it just cost too much. The by then the virus pretty much came in full swing, and all flying by the company had stopped. There were a couple other flights to get people out of some remote locations, but that was it. Mm -hmm. And out of curiosity, did you stop flying because the company couldn't afford it? Did you stop flying because the government said everybody shut the fuck up and sit down? Or was it a combination of the two? I want to say it was more of the company could it. Uh, the restrictions on travel and whatnot were still a little looser at that time, just a few weeks ago, really. Uh, so not even, oh my gosh, it'll be basically it's a week, two weeks ago now. Uh, feels like eons. Yeah, I know, right? But uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, so no, the company was still prepared to have me come in and do my training. But after all of the other flying, like the revenue flying stopped, they could not afford it. Right. And so even though the restrictions at the time were fairly loose, they were still tight enough that the company lost revenue because of it. Exactly. And because of that lost revenue, they couldn't keep training you. Correct. Uh, Jesus. Right. I asked right away if I was able to do my uh, ground training. And at that time, the chief pilot said yes. So... On Monday, I was still feeling pretty good that things would, you know, pull through. But then shortly later... Uh, Boy, were you wrong. Yeah, the next day, the 24th, I got a call, an email actually from the head office saying that layoffs were coming down the pipe. Oh, no. Uh, And unfortunately, not just for me, but the entire base in Kenora was laid off. All of the pilots 
and all of the aircraft maintenance engineers. Oh, Jesus. On that topic, I, I want to make it clear, and I can't stress enough, that just these fairly loose travel restrictions managed to basically decimate this entire base for a company. Like, these small restrictions managed to ruin this company's revenue to the extent that they said, we just can't afford to hire, we, we not, not even can't afford to hire people, we can't afford to employ people right now. And, and maybe you don't know, but do you know what the margins are for these kinds of charter flights? Maybe not for your company, but in general. No, uh, but I know that they're very, very slim. Yeah. And in general, aviation margins are super, super slim. And, and you know, as we can see, the only reason the company was making money in the first place was because they had a decent amount of traffic. And once a little bit of that traffic is cut down, so much of their revenue just immediately disappears because each individual charter you probably do makes barely any money. Like, what's the cost of what's the cost of Jet A up there? Ooh, um, so the last time I did about 1.8, almost two hours in the King Air, and we filled up the mains, and it cost almost five hundred dollars. Five hundred bucks to fill up the tanks. Yeah. And about how much flying can you gotta get off of a pair of full tanks? Hmm, that's a good question. I. Uh... Let's say a few hours. I'd have to I'd have to do some calculations, but yeah. <laughs> well, what's your what's your endurance? Like with full tanks, how long can you go? Four? Uh, three? I'm just looking it up. I hadn't actually. Oh come on! You were doing training. You should know this. W didn't finish my training. I got uh, let mm. go before. Fair enough. I'll allow it. <laughs> before I uh, I got to that. Okay, so so fuel capacity is about uh, 3,500 pounds. 3,500 pounds. And how much does she burn an hour? Ooh, so uh, range, normal range, about a th almost 1,000 nautical miles. Jesus, that's good. That's wow. Yeah, it's, it's, it's pretty good. So they have main tanks and auxiliary tanks. Uh, I'd have to... I, you know, it's not the end of the world. Here. The idea is, like, let's say you're flying... You hop in the King Air and you fly somewhere, right? Yeah. And you go there and back and you've used all your fuel. That's 500 bucks worth of fuel, right? So $500 worth of fuel, plus the company has to pay you and the captain, plus anybody else who's in the plane working. Yeah. And then maintenance and people, to take care of the plane. And maintenance. Exactly. And, and plus the company still has to offset the cost of buying the bloody thing in the first place. Yes. Right? Because they're expensive. And so all those costs add up to a whole bloody lot of money. And then people are are shocked when they buy a plane ticket and it comes out to like a thousand bucks. Like you you bloody wonder why, right? Here, I've got, uh, just uh, for those of you nerds at home, uh, a total in these particular models, a total of 544 US gallons of usable fuel. 544 usable. That's a bloody lot. Mm-hmm. The plane I fly has, what, 24 gallons? Oh, same here, Brad. Uh, the Scout is pretty similar to that one, so... I would love to get my hands on a King Air, man. That would be fun. I'm not going to lie. It's a sexy plane. Oh, God, it's beautiful. But it's the 200, right? So there there are bigger King Airs than the two. The 200 is a pretty, pretty like, short and fat one, right? Yeah, it's uh, about the middle. I have also worked, not flown, but worked for a company that had 350s. Oh, oh, they're the big ones. Yeah, real nice. <sighs> I'd love to get my hands on one. But... <laughs> a few million dollars. Uh, yeah, yeah, though they're expensive, I know. And that's why, like, let's say a company doesn't have $3 million, like, or $4 million laying around to buy a plane. Okay, so they use credit, right? Whatever. You can, you can buy the plane and pay it off over the next five years. 
But that $4 million or however much has to be paid for by the work you're doing. Yep. Right. And you're selling a service to people. They're going to have to pay for that expense over the course of the life of the aircraft. And so the margins, especially on small operations like this, are ridiculous. And I'm I'm worried that by the end of this, a lot of these small operations will just not be able to start up again. It's yeah, that's definitely a valid fear that a lot of people share these days. Well, because not only is let's say this lasts until July. Right. Let's say July 1st is when society decides to get up and running again. And that's, I think, at this point, being optimistic. So we're looking at April, May and June. That's three months of this aircraft sitting, doing nothing. That's three months of all the pilots and crew sitting, doing nothing. Yeah. Just how well you can tell me because you're you're now an expert. You fly at night, right? So you need a night rating to do this job. Correct. And probably an instrument rating, right? Yep. How much do you have to do before you're allowed to take passengers again after those three months? Well, for the night rating, it's uh, five takeoffs and landing. So luckily for that, um, you you can just do circuits for that. But Mm -hmm. for fulfilling your instrument qualifications, you would need to do two IFR approaches, uh, a precision and a non-precision, along with other, uh, other procedures like holes and you know, the like, basically, uh, another instrument ride, a flight test. Mm-hmm. It's, it, it's definitely takes a lot of time and energy uh, and money to do that, because you got to, like you said before, pay for the plane, maintenance has got to keep it up on the uptick, the fuel, then you got a captain, uh, a training captain, and, uh, and uh, whoever is the person getting tested their salaries to pay for that, you know? Yeah. And that like, while you're up there being tested and making sure that over the last three months, you haven't forgotten how to bloody fly the plane. Not only are you paying for that aircraft and all the fuel and your two salaries, you're not making money. Yeah. That's a non-revenue flight. Mm -hmm. And you have, and like, while you were there, how about how many people work there? Like how many pilots? do you have sitting around at this operation in Kenora? Yeah, so it's so funny. You say I'm an expert, but really I was only there for like five and a half days. Uh-huh. Okay, fair enough. But you're more of an expert than me, so. But yeah, a handful. So maybe around no more than 25. More than, No more than 25. Yeah. Let's be conservative here and say 20. Say there are 20 pilots there. Each one of those 20 pilots has to do five takeoffs and landings and two instrument approaches. Yeah, a whole instrument ride. Really. A whole basically yeah, so a whole so you need twenty instrument rides as well as a hundred takeoffs and landings. Yeah. That is so much money. And th- the company is just expected to pull this out of their ass and somehow manage to pay for all this because until they get their pilots back up to shape, they can't make money. Those pilots can't fly. And this is just a small company. You get some of the big guys out there like Air Canada, Sunwing, Delta. How are they gonna start up again when they have to pay they have to rehire pilots to to operate the planes all their maintenance engineers and then they have to retrain everybody plus um and this is something you mentioned earlier who out there is going to want to fly you know like who who in their right mind is going to first of all want to fly second of all be able to everyone else in their cat has been laid off from their job so nobody out there even if they wanted to fly is going to have money or the ability to go somewhere. Exactly. Nobody can bloody afford to go anywhere. And on top of that, like, I'm a little paranoid myself every time I get on, like, 
aircraft just because I'm that kind of person. But you have all of these planes that have been sitting there doing nothing for months. Yeah. They're going to have to all be basically recertified. You're going to have to go through each one of those aircraft and do a full workover and make sure that nothing's broken. Because the worst thing a plane can do is sit and do nothing. Exactly. Right? That's how things rust. That's how things corrode. You know, there's so many moving parts. A lot of these commercial aircraft, they're designed to not stop because that's what makes airlines money. The aircraft, like, you you don't you don't even have to shut down your bloody engines half the time, right? Yep. But now they're sitting there. All of these moving parts are just not doing anything. And, you know, you look at the Waterloo Airport and an entire runway has been shut down and Sunwing has just parked all of their planes on this runway. Okay, so it's bad enough leaving a plane, a plane, you know, parked in a hangar or something where nothing's moving, but now you're leaving it out in the middle of an airport in probably, I'd say, the worst season for it, where it's wet and the weather can't decide whether it wants to rain, snow, or a combination of both. <laughs> exactly. It's going to be, it's going to be a, a bit of a whole story. For the next few months, I feel even mm -hmm. if things, if if the travel bans start lifting or at least relaxing a little bit, I have no idea how things are gonna continue on. It's definitely not going to be the same as when, as before all this happened. And like larger airlines, like you know United and and Air Canada and stuff. Even though Air Canada isn't that big, um, the really big ones, like let's say Emirates and and those those really big airlines. They're not going to have as much of a problem in terms of getting started again because they have more money. They have more, you know, resources at their disposal. But small operations like the ones you're working for or, you know, some little air charter operation in, in Yukon or whatever, good bloody luck. Mm -hmm. Good luck. Aviation, you know, the industry as a whole makes so little money as a like percentage of the amount of money that flows through it that it's just it's not even thinkable that a small company can survive something like this which is which is horrible and i hate to say that but it's it's ridiculous because the company you work for probably if you look at their books they are making millions of dollars a year and they're spending probably about 95% of that just on keeping the company from disappearing or making sure the aircraft don't crash every time they bloody start rolling. It's expensive. The expenses in aviation is unbelievable. It's expensive because you, you see like a lot of times you look at these companies and yeah, sure, big airlines and, and aviation companies make a whole lot of money. You're right. They pull in a whole lot of cash, but most of that immediately disappears. So it's, it's rough because uh, small operations, they can't, they don't have the time or the volume to save up enough money to prepare for you know, a three, four month lapse in business where it's not like, you know, a lot of other places where you can just turn the lights off, it's like an office building, right? You can turn the lights off, go home, three months later, show up, everything's fine. Like you have to walk in and basically take everything apart, make sure nothing's broken, put it all back together again and train everybody again. It's, it's rough. It's going to be rough. But fortunately, uh, at least for you, you managed to find another position with the same company um, doing fire monitoring or, or something along those lines. So how'd that work out? Because you got laid off, right? Yeah. And then how long was it until they, somebody contacted you and say, hey, do you want to move again? Yeah, you know what? Um, and I'll say this, the company has been nothing but uh, nothing but amazing to me, even though I had only been there for a very short time. I got the email around 
one or two o'clock in the afternoon. And then I got home that that evening. And I think around five or six, the pilot contacted me saying that they had a position open for it's a aerial coordinations, aerial operations coordinator, pardon me, for the same company and uh, in but in Dryden. So this particular company, they have different bases around Ontario, Quebec and Saskatchewan. They uh, do different things. Uh, they operate a flight school. They do the charters in Kenora. Like I said, in Dryden, they run a fire detection and bird dogging uh, organization that's uh, hired by the uh, government. So that is why the whole company didn't have to shut her down. Part of that, the fire is an essential service. So the government of Ontario is funding that. So luckily for me, they needed a uh, somebody on the ground to basically work as a flight follower, a coordination officer, basically the front line between the pilots and the rest of the company. I'll be facilitating anything that the pilots need and taking calls from uh, the Ministry of Natural Resources for, yeah, the fighting fires. The company itself giving me this opportunity after being laid off has just been unbelievable. So, of course, I said yes, packed up my car and zoomed out here. And I started on the 30th. So I've been now working here for a week. And do you like it? I love it. I mean, of course, it's not the same as flying. Uh, but given the way the industry is right now, I... Uh, Good bloody luck getting a flying job. Not, yeah, not complaining at all. I'm lucky to have a job at all. Mm -hmm. uh, so it's a super detailed job. There's a lot of moving pieces, a lot of crews that I have to watch out for. So lots of training in this first week, just uh, figuring out everything that I'll have to do, everything that I'm responsible for, um, organizing the computer and brushing off the dust, basically. Uh, this position is only open during the summertime. So it'll, it's a, a bit of a task to get everything back up and running, but uh, it's going very well. Especially and now. I, yeah, exactly. And I think April 16th, possibly, about mid-April is when things are going to really start getting busy, uh, and I'll be I'll be in the office for pretty long days. Uh, so what happens? Is the government itself, MNR, has their own tankers, their water bombers, but they hire my company to detect and bird dog. So basically, what that is is we will have crews that will go out and look for smoke, and they'll report back. Uh, and and then the bird dogs will come in and they kind of act as mobile air traffic control for the tankers and direct them around to basically just really effectively fight the fires and make sure they stop them as soon as And those crews also belong to your company? Yes. Uh, in interestingly, the company holds the longest standing contract with the government for a bird dogging operation. Cool. Which is kind of a nice little tidbit for, for the company. They've done very well the past few years. Is that a job that you'd like to do, do you think? Oh, heck yes. It's uh, It would be incredible. I wouldn't mind doing any of those three, the, the detection, bird dogging, or the water bombing. But the amount of hours that you need to do, uh, need to have to do this job is pretty, pretty in my mind, astronomical. 
yeah, so I've got I've got a fair amount of flying and experience to build up before I'd be qualified to even apply for positions. From your position right now, just looking at, you know, the job descriptions, which of those three detection, like spotting or or um, actually water bombing, which one of those three do you think you'd like the most? Or which like if I could if I offered you any of those jobs right now, which one would you take? Oh, it'd be the tanker. Really? Oh, yeah. You like the big boys? I love the big boys on a fly, the biggest ones, and just the the skill that they that they need to do that job, flying that large of aircraft down to the water, just skimming across like it's you know adrenaline rush. It's dangerous. So yeah, no, it's definitely something that I would be very interested in in learning. But I'm pretty sure I'm pretty sure uh, might not be. This might differ uh, between companies or provincial governments or or what have you but the detection crews require 750 hours the bird dogging 2000 and i believe the water bomber uh is between 2000 and 5000 well once you get your king air job back that shouldn't be too far off i think mm-hmm. that's the other thing that like the company's just been going above and beyond for me is that they a kept me on during this time and found this for me like they didn't have to say hey would you be interested you know uh and then the other thing is an understanding that hopefully when this whole virus starts slowing down and travel restrictions are starting to be relaxed and they do uh start hiring their pilots back uh that they will they'll keep my name and number and hopefully when they need me they'll also call me back so uh, hopefully someday I will be back in Nora and I'll get back in the King Air. But for now, you're just spotting forest fires. For now, I am the the brain and the brain and hand behind the operation. I will control. Well, I mean, it's a pretty important job. So yeah, I'll control. I'll control those pilots. Well, Heather, thank you so much for joining me and giving me the rundown on that firefighting job and just the state of affairs in aviation as well it's an unfortunate situation but i hope you stay healthy and i certainly hope you get your flying job back when all of this blows over (laughs) thank you very much ben it has been an absolute pleasure and i hope you stay safe and healthy as well and that's it thank you for listening i hope you've all enjoyed the insight into what happens behind the scenes of the aviation industry during a global catastrophe. Once again, big shout out to Heather. Really appreciate her coming and sharing her experiences during this historical event unfolding around us. Apologies for the less than ideal audio quality. Unfortunately, Heather's recording decided to go home about six minutes into the podcast, and so I was stuck using the very badly compressed audio from the voice chat instead. But we'll get that fixed for the next episode of the works, which will be coming next Friday. Once again, thank you for listening, hope you enjoyed, and stay safe.